Welcome to Bushfire. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I Neville Johnson, Session 2. Let's just keep our hearts open to what the Lord may want to say to us today. It'll take me a while for my voice to settle in. Those who are listening to this streaming, (coughs) we welcome you and bless you. I just need to talk to my wife for a while. Is that all right? Oh, yeah. You there? Yeah, you are there. Appreciate you praying. Keep praying for the conference. And I know you got up in the middle of the night and prayed through the night the other night. God was speaking to you, but I appreciate your prayers. Love you heaps. And I'll be home soon. Okay? God bless you. Just before we get into what I want to share, just a couple of things I want to share with you because there's so many things, you know, we can share. And I'm trying to kind of work out just what the Lord wants to emphasize and what's important. And um, one of the things the Lord spoke to me about recently, came to me and spoke to me about, he said, I'm going to deal with the plague of leprosy among my people. And I looked at the Lord, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, there is so much leprosy in the body of Christ. And he began to unfold some things to me. He said, he's not going to tolerate it anymore. When the Lord says something like that, it's serious. And it's important that we understand what he is saying, you know, in Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 44, he said, He that is a leprous man, he is unclean. And the priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean for the plague. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head shaved, and he shall put a covering upon his lip, upper lip. And cry, unclean, unclean. Leprosy in the scriptures speaks mainly of sinning with our mouth. It's called leprosy in scripture. That's why the leper had to put a covering over his mouth. Leprosy is very contagious. And so the leper had to put a covering over his mouth. In the Bible, it's a symbol of sin, but not just any sin. It represents sinning with the mouth. You see, Miriam spoke against Moses and instantly became a leper. 
just like that. She was a good person. She just got wrong with her mouth. And she instantly became a leper. Leprosy is contagious. You have to keep away from people who are leprous. Really? There's two kinds of people you need to keep away from. People who are negative and people who are leprous. Don't have negative people around you. They'll affect your spirit. You still love me? Came quiet in here. (laughs) You know, backbiting, slander, sharing your brother's sins. If you can't say something that will bless, don't say anything at all. That's the rule. God is utterly tired of it. And he's going to judge it. And so we need to understand life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know? In James chapter 3, 14, he said, If you have bitter and envy and strife and glory not and lie not against the truth, this wisdom descends from the above. This does not come from above. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish. Out of the mouth proceed blessings and cursings. He said, brethren, this ought not to be so. He's talking to Christians. Out of the mouth are blessings and cursings. He said, does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and sour? No. Uncover your brother's sins and God will uncover yours publicly. Be very careful. God's had enough. You know when God's had enough, he's had enough. Okay? And he's about to deal with this in his house. It's so infectious. It says in Leviticus 14.44, The priest shall come and look, and behold, if the plague be spread in the house, the house is unclean. <clears throat> and he shall break down the house, and get rid of the stones, and the total house, it, it, it clings to things. What you share with someone which is negative about someone else clings to them. The Bible says, love cover of the multitude of sins. It's not our place to judge. We're not clever enough. We don't see things as God sees things. Believe you me. We don't think like God thinks. You know the word criticize, the English word criticize comes from a root word which means to strangle. Interesting. And so, you know, people say, now this is constructive criticism. I'm just going to strangle you to death. (laughs) True. (laughs) You know, it says of Jesus, the people looked at him, and and it said in Luke 4, 22, he said, they 
they bear witness and wonder at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. We've got to be very, very careful with this. It's not our place to judge. So it's important, you know, that we don't do it. It really is. We don't think, you know, like God thinks. <clears throat> and so, you know, we've got to start to learn a lot more about the heart of the Father for people. He said to the woman that was kind of the doll, he said, you know, your sins be forgiven you. He said, I don't condemn you. Your sins be forgiven you. Go no more. And all, all the Pharisees were standing by saying, she should be stoned. She should be stoned. And he gets down in the sand and he starts re- writing all of their sins. A sword and vision form. Got to this person. He wrote their sins in the sand. He went to this person. He, he wrote their sins in the sand. Then he said, <coughs> he that has cast the first stone, he that has no sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all disappeared. You know? There was a woman in Acts chapter 9 called the name Tabitha. The Bible said she was full of good deeds and alms deeds and loved people. But she died. So God looked down on this and said, we can't have this woman die. She's full of good deeds, loves people, loves everyone. And so he raised her from the dead. He didn't raise any of the apostles from the dead. But this little woman here. (laughs) See how God thinks? David murders a man, commits adultery, he should be stoned, right? That's the law. That's the law, king or no king. God looks at him and stops him stoning him. Why? Because God saw his heart. See, God doesn't look at what you do, he looks at why you do it. He looks at the motives of the heart, not the, the thing itself. We don't see things the way God sees things. <clears throat> the bringing the Ark of the Covenant in on a cart, and this guy touches the, and he's dead. You say, what's that about? They were trying to bring the presence of God in in a man-made way. That was a greater sin than all the others. Another man comes along and he opens the lid on the ark. Remember that story? One flash and they're all ash. 25,000 people die. Don't take the lid off the ark. (laughs) Remember Indiana There's a woman who's a prostitute and she hides two of the spies, remember? So then I got caught. And the enemy comes in and says, where they're here? And she lies about it. <coughs> God looks at that and says, I'm going to bless you. <laughs> we 
He don't think like God thinks. He blesses her, brings her in with the children of Israel, and she ends up in the direct line of Christ. How about that? She lied, and look what it got her. See? I hate that religious, pharisaical spirit. It's not of God, you know? <laughs> oh, I could tell you some stories, but I, I, you wouldn't believe if I told you. <laughs> God's not like us. He really isn't like us. You know? Anyway, that's not my message. But <laughs> you need to hear that, you know. You really need to hear it. We need to kill some sacred Pentecostal cows this morning. You know, so often traditions are elevated to a level, uh, to the level of the Word of God, you know. One of the traditions of man. And so we have to be very careful. And um, most theologians, or many theologians in the church, not all, but most, operated from the natural mind. You know, I got a book, Systematic Theology, it's this thick. I got a quarter of the way through it and nearly died. <laughs> It was compulsory reading in Bible college. <laughs> the natural mind does not receive and understand the things of God. The natural mind. All Christians have a natural mind. But it does not. The natural mind cannot receive the things of God for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And, it, it, you know, a lot of stuff is being put on us which is not of God, which comes from the natural mind. And we need to discern that. You know, First Corinthians 2, 9, it tells us, but it is written, I hath not seen, nor hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. We have no idea of the things that God's prepared for us. We live a little life on this planet, if we're lucky, 70 odd years. And then it's over. It's not over. It's just beginning. You know, this planet, this where we live is just a university. That's all. We're here to pass the test and graduate. That's what it's about. And if you don't pass the test, you get to sit it again, ten years later. And some people die never passing the test. And they only end up in paradise. They never even get into the city of God. Don't look at me like that. You know, heaven is laid out just like the tabernacle was laid out. The tabernacle was a picture of heaven given to Moses. 
and tells us that clearly in Scripture. As an outer court, an inner court, a holy place. So is heaven. My wife's father was a tough man. He really was a hard case. He got saved days before he died. And um, I wasn't even there. I was in England in that year, that 1970. And he died and <clears throat> made it like the thief on the cross. By the skin of his teeth, he got in. And I thought, Lord, I wonder where he is. Where is he? He was a bit of a hermit, you know. So, where is he? One day, the Lord showed me in heaven where he was. He was on the farther side of paradise that you could imagine. Couldn't even, you can't even see the walls of the city from there. He didn't really like people. And uh, he was there on his own. Had a lovely place to live. But he was nowhere by the throne of God. He wasn't even in the city. You know, in the outer court of paradise was the biggest place in the tabernacle. More people end up there than they do in the rest. You say, I just want to die and get to heaven. No, you want to graduate and have a special place and, and a future destiny. Your destiny doesn't end when you get to heaven. This planet is just a university for the rest of eternity where you graduate from. Some people end up right in the throne room of God. Others end up in the holy place which is within the walls of the city. <coughs> we need to understand these things. You see, the carnal mind, the natural mind, Romans 8, 7, the natural mind is an enemy of God. It's that enmity, it says, but is not subject to the law of God, and I cannot be. It doesn't link, sync with God. The natural mind does not understand the things of God. So we have a natural mind, and with this we cannot understand the things of God. We need revelation. Revelation. You know, we tell our kids to read the Bible. You must read the Bible. Our parents say, you read, read the Bible. It's the most boring thing ever. You know, as a kid, read the Bible. Read two chapters a day. Man, I used to get out of that as much as I could. I'm so boring. Now I get old and I'm a pastor and I'm telling my kids read the Bible. Now we have thousands or so hippies flood into the church. Upset the church, you know. A lot of people left. I'm going to teach them now to read the Bible. I said, God, you know how much I hated it. 
These are new Christians. What do I say to them? Read the Bible right through in a year? What to do? The Lord started to speak to me. He said, look, tell them to do this. <clears throat> he said, explain to them the concept of revelation. You can read the Bible from cover to cover three times a year and it will do you no good. Don't stone me now. Unless you have revelation, there's no life in it. No life. All you do is fill in your head with a lot of knowledge, maybe. So, you taught these kids. You... Ask God to speak to you. Read the Bible until it becomes real to you. Until something happens when you think, wow. I said, that's revelation. Stop there now and meditate on it for the rest of the week. And then we come a part of you. I mean, you know, little kids understand that language. They can pick that up real quick. Revelation is not just inspiration from God. Revelation carries the faith, the giftings, and the ability for you to live in it. Do you getting this? When God gives you revelation, you already have the faith, the gift, and the ability to walk in that revelation. That's how we grow in God. It's through revelation in the Word of God. You know, so many things which we should be walking in now, but we're not, because we haven't understood the nature of revelation. God doesn't give you revelation of something, then leave you alone so you can't have it, though. There's a power released with revelation. That is so dynamic. Said, hey, I can do that now. I can walk in that. And I tell you, these kids grew. They grew in 12 months more than with some Christians in my church been there for years. And dozens of them ended up on the mission field serving the Lord. Still are today. Let's have a look at a few things we need to nail down. Well, people say, the Bible says no one can see God and live. Right? Come on now. Is that what the Bible says? No one can see God and live. Exodus 33:20, And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for no man can see me and live. 1 Timothy 6:15, Which in his times... He shall show who is the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto. Mm. But the problem with that is this. It says in Exodus 33 and verse 11, and the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as he spoke to a man speaks to his friend. So what's going down here now? Is this a contradiction? Now, Exodus 24, 9, it says, 
Then went Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. They went up and they saw the Lord God of Israel. It's written in the Bible. <coughs> they saw the Lord. It says, And they saw the Lord of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stones, and as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. Seventy of them in the Old Testament saw the Lord. Isaiah 6, 1, he said, In the day that they used Isaiah, that Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. These trains through the temple. Okay. What's going on here? I had someone say to me, you know, if you saw the Lord, you wouldn't be able to stay on your feet. It'd be, that's not true. It can be true, depending on what form he appears to you. He can dive himself down in his glory and power so we can cope with it. If he appeared to us in all his glory and majesty, we'd be just ash. See, we have all these sayings, you know, that don't mean anything. The word man, no man can see me. In Exodus 33 is the Hebrew word According to Young's Hebrew Greek lexicon and Hebrew lexicon, it's speaking of that man is a, a man, an unredeemed man of low degree, a man that is not redeemed, a sinful man. The Greek, the word man in First Timothy six, which we read just a minute ago. No man can approach him in light. Right? The word there, man, is the word anthropos. And it is never used for a redeemed man. It's always used. The word study dictionary is always used for sinful man. No sinful man can see the Lord. That's what these scriptures say. But you and I can. I've seen the Father and talked to Him. I've sat on His knee. And I'm still alive. He's not that unapproachable. He's our Father. We can't handle Him in His full glory. We know, we understand that. Sinful man has never seen God and never will. But we can come boldly into the throne of God and find grace in a time of need. I have never seen the Father's face because he's always clothed in light. But I've seen him. I've heard his voice. So, let's get this straight. You and I have the right to stand in the presence of God and see the Lord. All right?
We got that. We have the right to do that. Come boldly to the throne of God and see him. And see the Lord. Let's kill another cow. <coughs> Necromancy. We may as well deal with this. Because it's going to become a problem to a lot of people. Necromancy, Deuteronomy 18.10, talks about divination, observer of times, enchanter, a witch, a charmer, consulter of spirits, or a necromancer are abominations unto the Lord. Okay, necromancy, talking to the dead. It's a practice of calling up the dead and talking to the dead. You know, the New Age movement get into this, and spiritists get into this. Uh, you know, there was the witch of Endor called up Samuel. He got a fright because he came. That ended her story. But, you know, we have a problem when it comes to the end of the New Testament, Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There will be some of you standing here which will not taste of death until you see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. He said, Some of you are going to see what the kingdom of God looks like on earth. Then he said, After six days, very important, after six days, we're living at the end of the sixth day, he took them up unto the mountain and was transfigured. Remember the story. Transfigured before them, and his raiment became shining, exceeding the snow. And there appeared Elijah and Moses talking to the Lord. Oops. What's going down here then? They appeared unto them, not just Jesus, the disciples that were with him. And they were talking to Elijah and Moses. What was that about? Jesus said, this is what the kingdom should look like on earth. See, the veil between the two realms is becoming very thin. And Paul always talked about the church as a church in heaven and a church on earth, as one church, one family. And, you know, <clears throat> Jesus was speaking to Moses and Elijah beyond the veil. Was he necromancing? Of course not. Jesus couldn't sin. So what was going on? How is it that Jesus, possible that Jesus could do something that seems to contradict Scripture? You see? The answer is, the clarity in this, is understanding what the meaning of dead is. Now, Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in your sins and trespasses. All right? Colossians 2, 13. 
And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together. Dead in your sins, the New Testament distinguishes between those who, accept, who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and are alive in him, now alive in him, and between those who are dead in their sins. You hear what I'm saying? There's a big difference. When Moses and Elijah appeared on the mind of transfiguration, they weren't dead. They were more alive than you and I. They're not the dead. You're talking to the unsaved dead. Dead in their trespasses and sins. You can't call them up. That's necromancy. This is going to be, a, it is an issue in the body of Christ, and it's going to become a bigger issue, and it's going to bring a division. That's why I want to deal with this today. Ephesians 3.15, of whom, whom the whole family in heaven and earth are named. One, one family. The whole one family. See, people think, I share some things and gets on the internet and they call me a necromancer. No, that doesn't worry me. But the thing is, all that stuff is out there and you need to understand this whole thing. Because as we come down to the end of the age, the church in heaven and the church in earth are going to get closer and work together, like it or not. God said to Daniel, Go your way, Daniel, because she'll stand in the earth in the latter times. Oh. <laughs> you must never, never try to contact people who have died, Christians who have died, but they can contact you. They can. William Booth, when he was dying had saints visit him day after day from heaven well documented had fellowship with them talking to him yeah, the time is coming you know you know you've got to come with us soon you never hear about that but it's documented <laughs> The Bible is full of incidents where the veil was parted, you know. And uh, John, Apostle John, was being shown around heaven by an Old Testament prophet. Isn't that something? He says, when the Spirit on the Lord's day, he heard a voice say, come up. Don't say, I'm coming. His spirit is in heaven. Body still on the earth. His spirit is in heaven. And this prophet is showing him around heaven. All kinds of stuff. And John thinks it's an angel. And so, you know, he, 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 he started to kind of worship this messenger who's showing him around heaven. And this is what the messenger said. And John saw these things and heard them. 
Revelation 22.8. And when he heard, he, he said, He fell down and worshipped the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then said he unto me, Don't do this. I am of your fellow servants, your brethren, the prophets, who keep the sayings of God. So you got this prophet, he's long dead, showing John around heaven. Time, get away from it. That's exactly as it is. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me scowling. <laughs> <laughs> you know the lie is these experiences for just a few chosen mystics well I'm not a mystic believe me you just ask my wife <laughs> I'm just normal just like you if you're normal <laughs> I mean I do not come online in the morning till I've had a cup of coffee. It's like, you know, I'm just normal. It's for normal people like you and me. If you don't believe it is, then it's not for you. But if you believe it is for you, then it is for you. God's going to pour out His Spirit and your kids are going to have periods of time, long periods of time in heaven. Get used to it. It's going to happen. It's happened in the past. It's going to happen again. And they're going to say, Mom, I was talking to Moses. What are you going to say? That's necromancy? Come on. Oh. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you believe a lie then that lie is true for you if you can believe that you can never walk with the Lord like this then you never can this is normal Christian living and it's the only thing that this generation of kids are going to accept it's going to be the real deal You know, we're encouraged in the New Testament to walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit over 26 times. These experiences have been common in every revival, everywhere, particularly the Welsh revival. And God said, You have reserved the best wine for this generation. Hallelujah, the best of everything. The best of everything that's been good in the past. It's going to be reserved for this generation. Ooh, okay. Have you ever wondered <clears throat> why in the Old Testament some of the Old Testament saints were adamant where they should be buried? Like Joseph said, hey, don't bury me here. Carry my bones all that way and bury me in this place. Abraham, all he got, why? That seems weird, you know. Jerusalem really didn't exist then. He said, carry them, bury me up in this place. 
<clears throat> I thought about this, you know. Joseph insisted that he carry up his bones into the promised land. And it tells us, you know, in Hebrews 11.22, that he did this by faith. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of his departing and gave them commandment concerning his bones. They saw something. What did they see? Why would you say, I want to be buried miles from where you die? You know, what were these guys up to? Abraham saw down the future to the day of Jesus. He said he saw that day, Scripture says. He saw it and was glad. Jesus said that. He said, your father Abraham saw my day. And he did see it and was glad. He was on the mind of transfiguration, remember. He saw my day and he was glad. You know, when Jesus died upon the cross, an unusual thing happened. It was an earthquake. But some of the Old Testament saints leaped out of their graves and walked the streets of Jerusalem and talked to the people. It's in the Bible. I said, wow. No, nobody preaches on this. <laughs> the graves were open, it says, and they walked the streets of Jerusalem. Many, many, many people saw them. See, Joseph saw something. He saw way down the way. And he said, I want my bones to be buried in this place. Abraham saw way down to a day. And he said, I want to see that. They positioned themselves to be a part of something that was still future. You and I have to position ourselves now for what is coming. This is our day. The day when the greatest, the greatest move of God's Spirit ever on the earth is about to take place. We have to position ourselves we see it, position ourselves to be a part of that. We mustn't get sidetracked from it. We not, mustn't let people talk as Christians, talk us out of it saying, that's not scriptural, that is not God. Keep your pathway straight. Don't let someone talk you out of your inheritance. You can walk with God the way these people walk with God. I don't care how young or how old you are. We are heading for the greatest event in the whole of history. We need to position ourselves to be a part of it. Our walk with the Lord has to change. Has to start changing now. So that we can be a part. You've got to focus your desires in God. We're going to stop for a cup of tea in four minutes, but we'll continue with it. We've got to focus our desires in God. Desires are really powerful things. Desires are not abstract. 
They are a power that are picked up in the realm of the spirit. Strong desires that are extremely powerful. Extremely. They have a sound. They have a smell. They have a color. And they're seen brilliantly in the realm of the spirit. Demons see them. Angels see them. Now you're looking at me strange, but... It's true. Position yourself. If you see something that's fantastic, coming, and it is. Position yourself for it. I'm 72. My wife now is 72. We covenanted that we would never be taken out of this world until we see that fulfilled in the flesh. We just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. And it's, we covenanted with each other. We would not. We are going to be around to see this happen. We are going to be around. It's exciting. Oh. It is the best of times and it's the worst of times. <laughs> but you've been sent into the world for such a time as this. You have the privilege to be born and alive in this hour. You have no idea how much a privilege that is. Like Esther. That you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. But Esther, if you don't take hold of it, you'll go down into obscurity and I'll raise up someone else. You're all Esthers. We've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We've got to position ourselves. We've got to seek the Lord. We've got to press in. We've got to have a stance that we will not be denied any of these things. We are going to walk in this and more. And if you're hearing this today, you can walk in it. God's going to pour out great grace to lift us to new levels. There's some levels we can't get there on our own, you know. And there are some problems in people's lives that on their own, they're never, Christian's life, they're never going to get on top of alone. It's going to take supernatural divine intervention. If you desire it, God will put into place what's needed to bring you into it. It's by grace, you see. You can walk with God. Our whole purpose on this planet is to learn how to walk with God. Adam walked with God. He heard the footsteps of God in the garden. He was keyed in to all the sounds of God. When I walked in here today, there was a perfume just went right past me, which alerted me to the Lord instantly alerted me and I saw the Lord standing here smiling 
how I picked that up was by the smell. I felt, I smelled him. And I leaned into that and I saw him. Understand what I'm saying? This is not rocket science. The Lord has a sound. Adam said, I heard the sound of the Lord. He has a smell sometimes. I've woke up in the night and heard the Lord singing over me. The Bible tells us he'll sing over us, you know. And I just lay there. Oh, it's great. But it's also healing. Sound, therefore, it's healing. Out of the Reformation, and final thing, I'm way off my notes, but it doesn't matter. When the Reformation came, the music changed. The music had always been in the minor key. You know, chants. Always in the minor key. Always. Why? Because they were in the dark ages. As soon as the Reformation hit, church music changed to the major key. Sixth, seventh, ninth, all those major chords. Music changed. You say, well, shouldn't we play in the minor key? Look, I'm going to get into trouble for saying this, but I'll say Everybody loves Israeli music. It's melancholic, it's good, but it's in the minor key because it's still under law. I mean, it's catchy. You know, and it's great. I love dancing to Jewish music, but it's in the minor key. Why? Because it's still under the law. The Reformation music changed. We're coming to a new Reformation now, and the music is going to change beyond what we have ever thought. It's nothing to do with the key it's in now. It's to do with a sound, a healing sound, a warfare sound, many different sounds. There's a new sound that's going to come which will be so powerful You remember when in the Shah of Iran it was um, deposed. Remember that? He fled to America. And the, the, the embassy in Iran was overrun. Remember? The Americans taken, were taken captive. Remember those days? Remember that? Okay. The Americans were going to <coughs> amount a rescue mission, which it would be very difficult anyway, but they were planning a rescue mission. But we saw in the streets thousands of people chanting anti-American slogans, right? Day after day. Do you know how much power there is in that for the devil? One sound. One people, one sound. The Americans never stood a chance. Their helicopters bogged down in a sandstorm. 
They had mechanical failures. They misunderstood the power of sound. How much is in the world today protesting and chanting? That is a powerful sound. It energizes demonic power. But there's a sound coming in the church. Hallelujah. Which will cleanse whole cities. New sound. The Reformation came. You had all these hymn writers. New hymn writers coming on the scene. Wonderful. There's a change coming. Hallelujah. Don't get me wrong. I, I like classical music. A lot of it is in the minor key. I mean, don't get me wrong. Music is music. But you can't listen to too much music in the minor key. You watch in the movies when there's a sad situation happening, the music is in the minor key. Because it creates a mood. See? Don't always use it like that. Now, I don't know what this sound will be, because I think it will vary. But there's a new sound coming. And it will be so powerful. So powerful. We have not understood the power of sound. It's going to change. And we'll flow into it. We'll get the feel of it. And the Holy Spirit will, you know, it'll come. Change is on the way. Let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> if you'd like any more information, please go to our website, www.bushfireministries.co.uk or see our online web shop, www.bushfire-shop.org. 